Good evening, everyone. Since Christmas is this time when we hear lots of great stories, um, and, and there's movies on TV all month long, uh, I did a couple of sermons already on It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I wanted to start with a story tonight, okay? Uh, this is a little parable I heard. This is a lot of fun. There once was a man and his family, and they were decorating their house for Christmas. And it was shortly after Thanksgiving, and so the man went down and brought up all sorts of items from the basement. You know, do you have this in your house? Boxes and boxes of Tupperwares that you put away during the other 11 months of the year, but then you pull out around, you know, the few days after Thanksgiving, if you're doing it right. Uh, no judgment. So, right, Christmas lights, garland for the banister, wreaths and different figurines and wall hangings and candles and fang point settings. You get the idea, okay? So the entire family is helping out, dragging all this stuff up from the basement, and they're opening the boxes that have been collecting, you know, getting that nice, musty basement smell for the last 11 months. And they're all excited, and, and the, they've got Christmas music on and just getting in the holiday spirit, right? This time of preparation. That's really some of the joy of the Christmas season, I would say. And, and so the family had taken most of the morning properly setting up all of these decorations, untangling the lights, everyone's favorite job, finding the burnt-out bulbs, you know how it goes. And everything is starting to look really beautiful and festive around their house. And now they come to one of the last Tupperware boxes, which contained this... Uh, manger scene that was of deep importance to the family. It, it had been uh, brought by a person who, who purchased it outside the country, and so it had a lot of sentimental meaning to it as well. This big, beautiful manger scene that the family always proudly displayed on their mantle above the fireplace. So this was the last thing that the family had been working on and setting up. And, and they're placing all the pieces together, and there's Mary and Joseph, and, and they've got the shepherds and the wise men, and the donkeys and the sheep, and the angels, and the creche. And they come to this starting realization, where is Jesus? Okay? They do all sorts of searching around the house. Go back down to the basement. Did we miss a box? No. Where is Jesus? They never find him. But a couple weeks later, it's finally time to clean the house for the holidays, right? Do you have, I don't know about you, but we have a biannual cleaning in my house. Twice a year, that's it. But once right before Christmas, right? And so they're cleaning the house, getting everything looking nice for the holidays. And, and, and the mother decides that she needs to do some sweeping, but not just the normal cursory sweeping. She starts to move some furniture aside. And so she pushes aside the couch, just three feet to the right, and discovers a, a treasure trove of junk and garbage, right? Old cheese puffs, some hair clips, all sorts of puzzle pieces and pen caps, Legos, dust bunnies, of course. And all right there in the middle of this mess is the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus. I tell you this story because I'd like to speak with you tonight about the ways that Jesus isn't missing, but the ways that Jesus shows up in the middle of our mess. We will be looking at Luke chapter 2, and I've titled this sermon, Jesus is in the Mess. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Okay, be honest with me. 
as we read that Christmas gospel from Luke to you, how many of you were having flashbacks to Lionel from the Peanuts Christmas movie? Or or maybe some other children's story, right? This is part of the problem. This Christmas story that we tell and hear every year, it's so prevalent in our world and in our cartoons today that we just think of it as some sort of sentimental children's tale, don't we? Maybe at first blush, that's kind of how you hear it. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is from a Peanuts Christmas Carol. No, 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 it's the Bible. <laughs> In actuality, Luke never intended for this to just be some sort of tame children's story. But over the years, we haven't done ourselves any favors with this idea. Over the years, we've set up little nativity scenes in our lawn or on our mantles. We sing happy Christmas carols about a baby in a manger with cute animals rejoicing alongside. And I'll be honest, it's these Christmas carols that I love dearly, but that for some reason this year, right, this will just tell you the year it's been, they're rubbing me the wrong way. I love these Christmas carols, but I've started to really pay attention to the lyrics. And now I'm going to break this down for you, because when we look at the lyrics, there's some frustrating pieces to it. Let, let me explain. There's a little backstory you need to know. I have three beautiful children, and my youngest, baby Miriam, was just over a year old. So that means for the last 12 months, Pastor Nate has been doing the whole infant thing with the help of my wife and many others as well. And you remember that well, maybe, or some of you are going through it now. Baby infants, they're a lot of work, aren't they? I'm tired. <laughs> and, and it's my experience caring for an infant over the past year that now has me acting negatively to all these Christmas songs about infant Jesus. See, 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 stay with me, stay with me. For example, it has been said, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Impossible. Impossible. Experience has taught me again that 60% of what a baby does is cry. Okay, okay, I'm not done, I'm not done. It has also been said that on the night of Jesus' birth, it was a silent night. Really. (laughs) Having lived through the birthing experience, not personally, but alongside my wife, she did all the work, there's nothing silent about that whole process. And not only that, but the first thing that a healthy baby should do is cry, right? A silent night. Come on, come on. Okay, one more thing, one more thing. The claim that I find most frustrating in our Christmas carols is that it says that on the night of Jesus' birth, they all slept in heavenly peace. Well, (laughs) I haven't slept in heavenly peace for 12 months, all right? And of course, on the night of the birth, most of all, on the night of the birth, the baby is still getting into the swing of things. They're waking up all the time. And as a parent, you're just worried sick. Why, why is the baby sleeping so well? Is something wrong? I better go check, right? All the anxiety of that moment. So, so yeah, I've been having some trouble with these Christmas carols. I point out all these peculiarities to you tonight in hopes that we can put our thinking caps on. You see, rather than just assuming we know this Christmas story backwards and forwards, because we've heard it so many times, I want us to bring fresh eyes to what we're hearing so that we can avoid making certain assumptions about Jesus' birth. Because a silent night, a perfect baby that doesn't cry, friendly animals gathered around Jesus' crib, none of these details are actually in the Bible. And here at Reformation... 
we take the Bible really seriously, and we like to look really carefully at what's actually in the book. So let's do that now, shall we? Open up those Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. It's on page 50 in the New Testament, if you're using the Pew Bibles. If you brought your own Bible with you, that's great. Feel free to open that one. I don't know what page it's on. Um, And if you want to pull it up on your phone, that's good too. Uh, However you get there. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at all these details that were given about the night that Jesus was born. We read in the beginning of Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Okay, notice, no, no birth details yet, right? Just a lot of backstory here. Let's keep reading. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was a descendant from the house of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Okay, finally some mention of this baby about to be born. Good. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. Uh Uh-huh. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that's it. That's all we get from Luke's gospel about the night of Jesus' birth. No mention of a calm, silent child. No mention of Jesus sleeping in heavenly peace. It simply tells us that Mary gave birth to a boy in Bethlehem and called him Jesus. You see, friends, we have romanticized this Christmas story to some degree. Our Christmas carols, yes, are one culprit that have led us here, but manger scenes, Christmas pageants, movie and TV specials, they all contribute to our altered and incorrect understanding of the Christmas story. Now, I'm not trying to start a campaign to do away with Christmas carols, but what I am trying to do is get us more in touch with the beautiful truth that exists in this story. There is something here that's so much better than a cute Christmas card and animals gathered round. There is promise here for us that goes far deeper than what we usually see. It's a story that reveals to us the incredible truth about who God is and how God chose to interact with our world. Let me break this down for you by looking at what's actually in the Bible, right? Notice that this Christmas story from Luke's Gospel that we just read begins with all sorts of details about who's in charge. Emperor Augustus issues a decree. Quirinius is governor of Syria. Luke wants us to understand just the type of world that Jesus was born into. It was a world where Joseph had to travel a great distance so that he could be registered with the Roman government. You see, this should tell us that Joseph wasn't a powerful man. He had to do what the Romans said. Jesus wasn't born into a powerful family with a silver spoon in his mouth and a trust fund. He didn't inherit some family business. Jesus was born into a family that was oppressed by the Roman authorities. It goes further, though. Jesus was born, we learn, to unwed parents. It tells us plainly, Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were not married. It makes that very clear. And in those days, that was a really big deal. For Mary in particular, as a young, unwed woman, she could have been killed for being pregnant without having a husband. But wait, there's more. 
the Bible does state that Jesus was placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, because there was no room for them at the inns. He wasn't born in a hospital or a birthing center. There was no clean, sterile environment to prevent infection. (laughs) His parents were essentially homeless at that point in time. They were foreigners in a foreign land with nowhere to stay except the barn out back behind the inn. What I want us to see in all of these details is just how vulnerable, just how messy the situation was on the night Jesus was born. This wasn't a peaceful night, a perfect birth. This sure doesn't seem like the ideal situation for God to become human and enter the world. And yet, that's exactly what happened. God chose to enter the world as a tiny, vulnerable baby, born to unwed parents who were oppressed by the Romans in the middle of a mess. And so I hope you're beginning to see that this Christmas story isn't just another nice tale that makes us feel nostalgic or sentimental. This story tells us something powerful about who God truly is. God chose to enter the mess. We believe in a God who chooses to enter the mess. That means, friends, that God will choose to be with you in the middle of your mess. Because I know you got one. We're all kind of a mess, just admit it. In one way or another, the Bible's filled with stories about humans messing things up again and again. It all started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and it never really stopped, did it? The age-old truth about humanity is that we're all a mess. We steal from others. We cheat people out of their hard-earned money, or we cheat on our spouses and loved ones. We struggle with addictions to drugs and alcohol and pornography and technology and shopping and video games and social media. We work ourselves to death. We eat ourselves to death. We worry ourselves to death. We fight with our family. We gossip at the grocery store. We holler on the highway. We instigate on Instagram. We are irresponsible with our earnings and we are boastful about our blessings. In one way or another, we're all a mess. But what I want you to hear clearly tonight is that no matter how messy you might be, you are not beyond the love of God. God entered the world as an infant baby Jesus so that all humans would know just how much God loves them. They always say that Christmas is about being with the people you love. Well, on the first Christmas, God decided that he needed to be with us more fully. God wanted to be with the people God loved, and so God became a tiny baby in a stable in Bethlehem. And yeah, it was a messy situation, but you know what? That's kind of the point. God loves you and all your messiness that you bring to the table. God's going to be with you when everyone else has given up. God's going to love you and care for you and guide you to a better way, even if everybody thinks you're too messed up to bother. On that first Christmas night, God chose to enter the mess. God chose to be with people he loved, even though it wasn't clean and easy. And so that means that even when we don't get it all right, even when the government shuts down and no one can get along, 
Even when gun violence never ends and even when their debt is piling up or when the test results come back positive or when the relationship breaks down, whatever messy situation you find yourself in, you can be sure that Jesus isn't missing. Jesus is with you in the midst of the mess. Thanks be to God for this Christmas good news. The promise that God has not given up on us. God is with us in the middle of the mess. Amen.